Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. Today's guest is Eileen Scully. Many of you have heard of Eileen, but for those of you who haven't, I hope that you get to know her and love her as much as I have in the recent past. Today's guest, again, Eileen Scully. Welcome, Eileen. Hi, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. I know you've been very, very busy. I know that you traveled a lot before COVID-19. Um, let's talk more about who you are, what you do, and how this has impacted you. Yeah, so that answer alone could fill up the rest of our time. Um, <laughs> so I am the founder and CEO of a consulting firm called The Rising Tides. I founded it in July of 2015 with the intent to work with corporate clients on identifying and more importantly, removing what are those invisible barriers that are preventing your women from pro progressing into positions of power and influence in your organization. So I predominantly work with Fortune 500 companies. I published a book last September, which has taken off. And as a result, so has my speaking career. So I travel literally around the globe to different events and speak with all different audiences, not only women. I wanna make sure that that's abundantly clear because I have a message for men on how they can be real advocates and sponsors for the women that they work with and the women in their lives to help contribute to their advancement. Awesome. I love to hear you say that. So many of those of uh, so many of those who do similar or same to what we do in our fight for equity fail to give men a voice and a seat at the table. And I just don't think that's right. I don't think we can make the progress we need to make if we um, eliminate that voice. Well, and, and let's be honest, so many of those positions of authority are still held by men. And I, I don't think that a lot of the lack of progress that women have experienced or not experienced is because of malicious intent by men. I think men just don't see and experience the kinds of biases that we run into in the same way. And the fact is, and I'm glad you said this, I had no intention of talking about this, but it's a perfect segue to say that I teach muted group theory and you are spot on. They don't yeah. see that there is a difference because they created the operating system in their own language. So to them, it seems normal. It's almost like we speak French and they speak Italian. And if all the rules are written in Italian, they don't see any issue, right? Right, right. So, so like as an example, the, the cover of my book shows the door going into a men's restroom with a woman's uh, pair of high heels outside the door. And the story behind that is a true story of the first female executive that was promoted into the executive row at CBS television back in the 70s. And when they moved her office to be with the other executives, there was not only no women's room on the floor, but there was wow. no lock. There was no lock on the men's room door. So she, her name was Ethel Winant. She had to leave her high heels outside the door to let the other men know she was there. Now, when that building and particularly that floor was designed and built, it never occurred to anyone that women would need access to the executive floor at CBS television. Wow. 
That's terrible. What a powerful story. And, you know, I got a little kick out of your book cover, but now it has so much more meaning to me. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, we, we went through with my publisher, it was kind of a fun process because it was, okay, what's the right pair of high heels to sit outside this door? What would they have looked like back then? Right. Yes. And what would that access have been? And, and I was so really, uh, let's say detailed on the story that I wanted to make sure that the door didn't accidentally have a lock on it in the, in the image on the cover, right? Yes. Yes. Important. Wow. Things that, I mean, I, I'm 53. I've seen a lot of bias, um, but I'm sure she saw that which she didn't even recognize as bias, right? Well, and, and again, that's, I think that that's an illustration of something that was done because it just didn't occur to them to put a woman's room on the executive floor. It wasn't done to oh. intentionally leave women out. It was the assumption that this is how it's going to be. Yes. Yes, I'm glad that we are um, breaking that mindset, changing that mindset, shifting that mindset. Yeah. Um, well, and I do find that the, the men, now let's also be honest, that the men and the executives who reach out to me and want to work with me are already open to sure. learning new things and changing their corporate culture. So I'm working with a, a distinct segment of the population but I do find that those men are so receptive to understanding what they don't see and to looking at the world of work in new ways that are much more inclusive. They just don't see what they, they have never been shown. They don't know what they don't know. So yeah. Right. And that you're um, not in any kind of accusatory way. You're just simply unveiling, revealing, and letting them know what they need to know in order to create equity. Yeah, and inviting them to participate in the change. I think that is so critical and, and rare, you know, honestly, with a lot of the women that I work with, they don't think to have men in the room or at the table. And I think that's important. Well, let me ask you, this may be an obvious question, but maybe not, or maybe it hasn't even happened yet, but what is your proudest professional accomplishment? Oh, I would have to say definitely publishing the book. I mean, I, there've been so many, Susan, right? And, and when I launched this business in 2015, if you had told me that within the space of five years, I would have been invited to do a TED talk on another continent, that I would have had a book, you know, that launched number 16 in the women in business category on Amazon, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a pretty dense category. And people like Sheryl Sandberg are permanently parked in the top 10. So to even break the top 100 was a huge moment for me. Yeah, it sounds like a lot to me, for sure. Right? I mean, it, it was really, it was, it was dramatic and it was really mind-blowing and validating for me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I have to say, I usually don't um, get to know my, my guests beforehand and I don't read their books beforehand. It's on purpose so that we can have yeah. a genuine, authentic conversation and it's new information to me, just like to the listeners. 
I did meet Eileen before. I had the honor and pleasure of spending a few minutes with her. Not much time, but it was great. <laughs> and I cannot wait to buy your book. It's so, I mean, so, so people like you, experts in the field who've written books and been published, and, and again, you're on top, you know, 50, top 20 list. Um, everywhere. This is this is what helps me to do my job better and to gain a better understanding of the landscape as it was and as it should be. So I am very grateful to women like you who um, have moved the needle, not just are trying, but you actually have moved the needle. Is there someone who maybe mentored you along the way? You know, it, that's a really great question. And I, in my book, in the initial chapter, I didn't want to talk about myself in the book. The book really highlights women in very male dominated spaces that are changing those spaces from within to be more welcoming to women and other people who were not invited to those rooms. But I didn't want to talk about myself and my publisher and my editor were really astute and said, you need to frame out why it is that you're the one that should be sharing these stories, why you're the one bringing this to the world. Right. So what I did is exactly to answer your question was I talked about the different models and mentors that I had early on. And there was one woman in particular in my, when I was going from, let's say a job to a career who really saw something I don't think I saw in myself at the time. I was in my mid twenties and she really challenged me to step outside of my comfort zone and pushed me into opportunities that I wouldn't have thought were available to me. And that really showed me two things. One of which is believe what other people see in you more than what you believe yourself to be capable of, particularly if you're not feeling, you know, like you have tremendous self-esteem, which I didn't at the time. And the other thing is there are rooms that are available to everyone you just have to find the way to get inside. And once you do, you realize that everyone that's in those rooms is trying to figure stuff out. There is no one who has the back of the book answer. There is no one who knows exactly what's happening all the time. So the more we look at access to places of influence as collaborative and the more dissenting and differing and diverse opinions we bring into those rooms, the better and the more well-rounded those decisions are going to be that come out of them. Agreed. Agreed. And I love what you said about um, when you ask others the story of you, because we have difficulty talking about ourselves and telling our own story. I love that. So, so when women are suffering imposter syndrome or being shy about owning their story, I often say, step outside of yourself and tell me what, you know, your friend so-and-so would say if I asked her about you. Right. Um, so yeah, that's true. That's great. I cannot wait to read the book. This is getting me more <laughs> and more excited. Um, right. Well, look, you know that in what I do, I believe in lifting women up. I wouldn't be on this call with you today if I didn't. Yeah. What do you, um, maybe you have some advice you could give us on how women can lift one another? Yeah, what I tell, you know, groups that I speak with and work with all the time is the, I'll say it's the easiest, but it's really the most powerful way to impact your workplace and the workplace of the future is for each of us to 
really look carefully and intentionally at who are the people that most would benefit from the experience and the knowledge that you bring. And I think if we look very intentionally at pulling, you know, we say rise or lift while rising, right? So bringing people through that wouldn't have someone that would reach out to them as a mentor. So if we find people who look different from us, who pray differently from us, who love differently from us, who eat differently than us and work with those people, instead of going more easily to someone who reminds us of ourselves to mentor, if we work really intentionally at extending ourselves and sharing that learning across what some of those divides would be, that will have a material impact on the workplace for everyone. You know, I love that you said that. I have a good friend who's very senior at a big company in Chicago, and her signature line on her email says, I am not different from you. I am different like you. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's powerful. I like that a lot. I mean, I, I do work with women all over the world. And what's fun for me is we're all trying to accomplish the same things and we're all facing very similar barriers in very different ways, but there's a tremendous amount of learning that we can share across all of those channels if we're open to it. Absolutely. Be secure in yourself and then share what you know with others and be open to learning from others. I love it. Um, you're all that to me. You're on my speed dial. If I have a question, that, <laughs> you know, whether you like it or not, I know your number. I love I'll it. Call it. <laughs> I love it. Please do. Awesome. These, these are the conversations that, that inspire me and give me, you know, motivation to keep going. And, and look, having met you was all that I thought it would be. So thank you for being your authentic, wonderful self. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had, I'm sure you have, but let's just hear it. What has been a big challenge or setback and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so I think probably the biggest challenge for me, right, when we're, I've always been single. I became a mother at a very young age and my ultimate goal was to, be able to support my daughter in anything she wanted to do, right? And so when you're focused on keeping a job and making money and paying for all those tuition bills and making all that happen, you're not able to consider what are the things I really want to be doing versus what it is that I should be doing. Right. So for years, I forced myself to try to be a salesperson. I was in you know, the technology sector and I loved what I was doing and I loved the people I was doing it with, but I was a terrible salesperson because I would never force something on a client if it didn't make sense for their business. So I was more of a consultant, let's say, than a salesperson, but I wasn't being paid to be a consultant. I was being paid <laughs> to be a salesperson. So I think for me, the challenge at the time was how do I, what am I going to do with this and how do I take this and become something that's fulfilling for me that I'm actually good at. And I think that that was the revelation when I decided to start this consultancy about five years ago. Well, I want to say what a lucky woman your daughter is to have had you as a powerful, the powerful role model that you certainly were and are, I'm sure. Um, so that's incredible. I was a single mom for eight years, having gone through a bad divorce, fought for sole custody and won. We will not go into the story here today, but <laughs> just to relate with you on how difficult that is. 
This is not to guilt our children in any way, but society and the operating system within which we work and, and live make it very difficult for single mothers, for mothers, period. So yeah. more badges to you. Um, I did not know that story. So yay, I learned something yeah. new about you on this call. Um, tell me, like everything you've just said to me was a surprise. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was about to ask you to tell me something surprising about you, but so far I'm, I'm jaw dropped the whole time. I'm like, wow, she's amazing. Um, but tell us something surprising that maybe people who do know you better than I know you still don't know. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think what would surprise people is the absolute panic attack that I experience every time I'm about to go on stage about what? 20 minutes. No, honestly about 20 minutes before I'm like about to lift off, I have this terrible, like in my stomach that is debilitating and it either feels like I'm going to vomit or it's going to come out the other end and I'm never sure which. So I never eat before I speak, even if it's at two in the afternoon, but I have this, like, I'll never forget. I was backstage before my Ted talk, which was a big deal, right? And they're ah. putting down video and it's going to get blasted out to the world and be indexed on the Ted site and everything. And I'm about to do my talk. And I said, okay, I'm just going to run through it one more time. I had rehearsed it 10 times a day for the month prior because I wanted to be that good. I closed down my laptop. I folded up my notes and I just said, let's do this with no visual aids whatsoever. And I blanked out. And I had the biggest panic attack of my life. Now, the TED Talk was fine. It all went off without a hitch. It was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. But every single time I have that moment of panic. And I think that's, again, that's my lizard brain saying it's good to be a little uncomfortable. It's good to feel a little edgy before you do this. Because once you get complacent, you get lazy. I get you. I get right? you. Yeah, I want to say something. Um, you're amazing that you just said that. That's a huge vulnerability that a lot of people, not just women, but all people suffer, especially as public speakers. Oh, yeah. But you think that it would have gone away by now because you're remarkable. I mean, if you could see you the way I see you, I <laughs> can imagine you being nervous about, I mean, I could see you standing up in front of thousands of people just on the fly and owning it. I mean, you're that good. So well, that's very um, kind of you. I appreciate that. It, it's you never see yourself the way other people see you, right? And I find that the the best thing when I'm most nervous is just to have to launch any talk with humor, right? Yes. And just get get everybody sort of relaxed and laughing, and then I'm in my zone. Yes, you're absolutely right. Humor is a great way to. It, it might be more self serving than anything, but uh, yeah. yeah, I think it loosens everyone up. I, I just quickly want to say this only because you brought it up. Uh, my very, very first time to give a public talk when I was 18, um, I had written a paper about nuclear disarmament and oh, um, it, it, would, it got lots of kudos and lots of praise. And I was in international law at the time and uh, this class for my undergraduate studies. And they asked me to present the paper to the class. And I thought, well, okay. And so <laughs> I show up to present the paper to the class. Well, the teacher, the instructor, the professor had invited other professors and other class members I didn't know, like from other classes. And I got up in front of these people. I'm not kidding you, about 300 people in the room. It was a, um, a university where those 
you know, undergraduate classes are huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's going to ever happen again now that COVID-19 is upon us, but I got up in front of the class and I threw up. I threw oh, up no. in front of 300 people into a garbage can next to the desk. Susan, that's hilarious. <laughs> it that's was hilarious. awful. And he asked, he said, well, do you want to try again another time? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, not at all. So needless to say, I never saw myself as a public speaker, but mm. I'll tell you, once you go through that, it's piece of cake. I mean, nothing is scary anymore. So I feel you. I feel what you're saying. I understand about the nerves and they literally do make you nauseous. Um, but I never experienced that again after that. I think it was pretty, um, a slap in the face and a reality slap, if you will. Right. Right. That's hilarious. Well, I like to pose a wild card question. So sure. now is the time in our discussion where I pose the wild card question. And today's question that I'm pulling from my box of, of meaningful questions is advice you didn't take, but wish you had. Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is finishing my college degree. You know, it was something that I had to interrupt and I've restarted it a number of times and have, you know, it's, it's such a long haul as an adult to finish a four-year degree and particularly with the demands of my job and the travel. And it's just, I've always had a job that required me to travel. So the continuity of it was never a priority. And so I think that that now in, you know, I'm in my fifties, if I can do anything this decade for myself and my own enrichment, that would probably be it. But for years, people always told me, and I acknowledge that in the book, that not having my bachelor's degree probably held back my career more than being a single parent, more than being a woman in business. Now, I want to ask you, do you still believe that's true? Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I think it's less true. I think some of the bigger tech companies are looking at who is it that has the skill set that is going to accelerate their success. And it's not necessarily someone who came through a university with a four-year computer science degree. It's someone who's been a gamer or someone who's been a coder on exactly. the side and has learned on the fly. So I think... I, here's where I sit. It's never a bad idea. No one's ever going to take it away from you. Right. I tell young women all the time that once you have it, it's yours forever. A job will go away. A spouse can go away. Your money can go away. But no one's ever going to take that piece of paper from you. So I don't discourage education, but I think we're at a, a juncture where we can reconsider who it is that brings what talent to our organizations in ways that are meaningful. Well, I have to say, I have two bachelors and an undergraduate in uh, a graduate degree and would love to get my PhD, but I think I've learned more from women like you than I have from any class I've ever taken. So yeah. And those things are not mutually exclusive, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I loved your answer. I'm, I'm, you know, wowed that you were able to answer the wild card question. You know, some people it takes them back that, you know, takes them aback that I even ask a wild card question mm -hmm. because it's not in the questions that I generally ask. But thank you for that. You were very honest and vulnerable. And I just think that's leading by example. Well, um, you knew I would be, Susan. You knew I would be. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're one of the strongest women. <laughs> and I say that with love. And this morning I was on a call with someone, she's senior counsel at a huge global company. And I said to her, you know, I can be aggressive. And I said, I know that's off putting sometimes. She said, no, own that word. It's right. beautiful. Be aggressive. So I've learned that aggressive is not a dirty word. I used to say, be assertive, not aggressive. Be confident, not cocky. Now, I still believe you shouldn't be cocky, but I'm okay being aggressive. And I think yeah. that I've learned from women like you that it serves us well. Own our well, I also think if someone's going to ask me a question, they want the answer. That's right. You know right. me. Open, honest, and direct. That's how we roll. Well, you're an amazing guest. You're a really wonderful woman, a brilliant woman. I'm so honored to have you on the show. And thank you for sharing a bit about yourself and your book. Folks, I'll write a blog about Eileen and publish it within 48 hours. So look for that and click on the buy the book button and so, so that you can get the insights that she shares in her book. I know I will for sure. Thank have you so much, day. Susan. You're thank welcome. Bye-bye, you. everybody. <laughs>